Good morning. Um, thank you for having me. As Derek mentioned, I'm a, I'm a guest here. So if this is your first time, uh, I'm not one of the regular pastors here. So if you don't, if you don't like me, my feelings won't be hurt. You come on back next week and, and see how great this church really is. We're going to continue in a series on relationships. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about singleness and friendship and the importance of those in life and marriage and guarding the sanctity and the sacredness of marriage. And this week, we're going to turn to a relationship that's applicable to every single person in here without exception. So the last couple of weeks, those are categorical. Maybe you're one of those things. Maybe you're not. Today, we are all in this category because we're talking about interacting with our parents, honoring our parents. So you either are now or have been a child in a relationship. Specifically, we're going to talk about the Bible's command to honor our parents. So I'm going to turn to our principal text. Feel free to flip there with me if you've got a Bible or a device. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a purpose. Sorry, with a promise. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Since I'm a guest, I want to be extra candid and vulnerable with you this morning. Many of you don't know me. And so uh, I'll just kind of put it out there. Uh, I think I'm probably the the worst person in this room to to give this message in this respect. Um, I have over the course of my life, not honored my parents well. As I thought about this message, Curtis asked me if I was free this weekend, and I said, I am free, but there may be someone, you might want to look for someone else better suited with a little more experience doing this. Um, and as I, as I sat in the scriptures, studying and thinking and contemplating and praying, uh, much of my dishonorable behavior towards my parents over my life came to mind, and it, it took me to a place of repentance, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, and beyond the fact that I've been largely a failure in my life at this in so many ways, I'm only 33 years old, which means that I've only had this number of years of opportunity to honor my parents. And, and some of you in here are further along in the journey and you've dealt with seasons of life that I've not. And so I've got very limited experience from which to talk about this issue. And frankly, before these last couple of weeks, I had not meditated deeply on this concept of honoring parents. I had thought about it at times in life, certainly, but, but never deeply. And so here's the good thing about all that. Since I am so ill-suited to deliver this message this morning, uh, we're just going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the scriptures, and we'll just, we'll dive into them together. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it is better that occasionally you guys bring an incompetent preacher, right? <laughs> Full reliance on the scriptures. Sure, you could have Derek or Tom or Curtis up here who know what they're doing. Let's just go to the scriptures together today. Um, This is not an issue I think probably that many of us think about often, right? It's a little bit obscure. We probably think about it in seasons of conflict. I know that it comes to my mind, like I've got uh, that of little kids. And so when they're uh, disobeying me, I think, man, I should teach you the Bible, starting with commandment number five, honor your parents. Let's just jump in and start there. That's when we tend to think of it when there's strife in our home or in our relationships. And I recognize there's probably two broad categories of people here today. Some of you come to this issue from a place of deep pain and 
profound pain. You have endured um, an incomprehensible amount of hurt in a relationship with your parents. Uh, Some of you have experienced abuse or abandonment or neglect. Some of you perhaps have had parents who have been cold or distant or unloving. Some of you are in blended families, like I grew up with step-parents and trying to figure out what, what that means. Or maybe you're step-parents and you're trying to figure out what this means in the context of your life. Um, some of you perhaps have, have experienced estrangement with your parents. Um, I, I work for an organization called Love 146, international humanitarian organization, and we work specifically with the issue of child trafficking and exploitation. We have children in different countries around the world who are in our long-term rehabilitative care programs who were sold into sexual exploitation by their parents. So I'm keenly aware that many of us come to this issue from a place of pain, and this is not an easy commandment to receive, and it's not easy to imagine how we might obey this in the right way. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying that you would experience the kindness and grace of God as Father this morning, perhaps in a way that you never have that you would be able to see God as a good and loving father to you, that you were well-loved, that you were cared for. Others of you have come from um, very healthy, loving, functional families. Uh, praise God for that. And so this might not be a hard concept for you. You hear, honor your parents, and you're doing that, and, and things are great, and this is an easy one for you to submit to. So for you, I'll say that I've also been praying that this week that you would see Christ exalted more clearly in these passages than you have perhaps in the past, and that you would, this morning would be willing to submit yourself to the authority of Jesus perhaps more than when you came in here today. So here's the big picture. The thesis today is this. Honoring parents forces us it forces us to trade our self-exalting pride for a God-glorifying humility while demonstrating the gospel of Jesus. Honoring our parents forces us to take our self-exalting pride that is inherent in all of us, trade it for a God-glorifying humility while we demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. And I'm gonna look at those three things. First, honoring our parents demonstrates the gospel. We've got to really go back to the beginning here. The passage we read in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul quotes Exodus 20, which is where you first see the fifth commandment to honor your parents. So Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So that's the command, right? One of the big 10. Um, Then a chapter later, Exodus 21, there are these two laws pertaining to that command that you may or may not have read or be familiar with, but they're important because they go hand in hand with this. So Exodus 21.15 says, anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Now, some of you may be like me. I am um, skeptical by nature. I am hyper-analytical, and it is very difficult for me sometimes to come to the Bible and read hard things like this. I, I, there have been times in my life where I've come and sat down to read the Bible, and I've just wept because I feel so conflicted at my inability to comprehend or understand or reconcile some of these hard things. And so if you're like me, maybe a person of faith who just struggles with the hard things, or perhaps you came in today and you're not a Christian, you're just exploring the Christian faith and you've got questions. And for you, this passage is problematic. I want to give two responses. I'm going to ask a hard question about it that I think some of you may be asking. I'm going to give you two responses, okay? So first, the question, why, why would God put such a harsh and exacting law in place? Why would God be so seemingly merciless to sons and daughters for such seemingly insignificant offenses? 
at the very least, disproportionate, right? Cursing your parent or a simple assault is a capital offense, highly disproportionate, particularly in our, in our modern understanding of justice. So why would God do that? Isn't this the kind of thing that causes people like Christopher Hitchens and prominent atheists and our culture to look and say, God clearly does not exist. And even if he does, this book does not reveal him because that cannot be right. This is a hard thing. So why would God do this? And here's two responses. First, I'll, I'll say this. Just because a law existed doesn't mean that it was enforced. And I'll say as an attorney, as someone who, who dabbles with the law, I can tell you there are many, many laws in place that are not enforced. There are around 20 states in the U.S. where adultery is still a criminal offense, meaning you face jail time or fines, but they're not prosecuted. Exceedingly rare that anyone's ever prosecuted under that statute. However, those laws remind us of what we consider to be right and good in society, namely fidelity, faithfulness. Just because a law is not enforced does not mean it lacks social value. So that's one thing. I suspect also that that kind of unenforcement or lack of enforcement would have, might have been the case in Israel. And there's a couple reasons I think that. Um, one, it's, it's heavily supported in the Mishnah, which is a series of oral traditions uh, in Jewish culture that wasn't written down until the first century. But these oral traditions basically acted like a code of criminal procedure. So we've got these laws. If you curse or strike your parents, you be put to death. Well, how do we enforce that? How do we apply that? Is that to be by a jury? Is it a council who determines? And so these oral traditions in Jewish, Jewish culture governed that. And the Mishnah made it very difficult for this type of law to be executed. Right, so that's one reason. Uh, the other is we have one hypothetical scenario not a single textual example in the Bible where this law was enforced. We have one hypothetical example in Deuteronomy 21 where the author envisions the possibility of enforcing this law, but it's in a rare circumstance, very rare circumstance. And it's envisioning an adult child, not a little child. So if you read this and you think, oh, does that apply to little children? I think there's very good reason to suggest that absolutely not for a number of reasons, that being one of them. So, um, even if the law was enforced, it also requires parents to identify, right? And my guess is, certainly we know there are people in the world who will absolutely drag their children to their death for violating, violating a religious creed. We see this all the time, right? In the Middle East, we see it regularly with honor killings, um, other cultures as well. So we know that it could happen, but the number of parents willing to do that is probably quite small in comparison to the whole, right? So I think there's a number of reasons to think that this law probably was not enforced with any great frequency. But even if that's true, listen, don't be mistaken. God did not give us an empty word in this law. This was not just legislative bombast. He didn't just enact the law for no purpose. He absolutely intended that at least one man would be put to death under the strict dictates of that law. But not for that man's violation of the law, for another's violation of the law. This is perhaps the most important point that I want us to get today. The most important truth, I think, in looking at this may be that this law, this commandment coupled with the law, it points us to a significant truth that in large part, the severity of that law foreshadows the severity of God's mercy to us in Jesus. My favorite children's Bible um, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she says about the Bible, every story whispers his name, 
referring to Jesus. In other words, the Old Testament and the New Testament division that we think about, this is not an Old Testament God who's grumpy and vengeful and then a New Testament God who's gracious and loving. This is one narrative story about God creating man, man rebelling, man being in need of a savior, God sending his son Jesus to die in our place to redeem us, to rise on the third day that we would have eternal life if we believe in him. It's one narrative of our redemption and that's what we're seeing here too. The weight of this law highlights now the seriousness. Listen, it highlights the seriousness of God's holiness. It is not an insignificant law. It highlights the pervasiveness of our sin. We are all guilty under that law. And ultimately, the graciousness of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. And friends, if you, like me, are skeptical, if these verses are hard for you, let me just say this. When we view that law in that light, this law is not merciless. It's marvelous. It's magnificent for its unexpected ability to drive us towards Jesus, who is our only hope. That's the function of this at one level. So, so what do we do with that? I think that's what we do with it. I think that's, that's at least how um, I deal with what is a hard component of this command. Honoring our parents forces us to trade our self-exalting pride for a God-glorifying humility while we demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. Honoring our parents, it glorifies God. It glorifies God. Now, there's another hard word for us here, and it's this, that God commands our honor of our parents, and we see that that honor is owed, not earned. That honor that we're to give is owed. It's not earned. It stems from their position, not their person. We see this again in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says in verse 7, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. We're commanded to give honor where it is owed. This includes people who haven't earned it and perhaps who otherwise would not have deserved it. So I'll give you an example. You're familiar with the last will and testament, right? The document where you write down what you want to happen with your property when you die. If I am a legal heir to my parents' estate, they die and I'm a legal heir, I am owed some portion of their estate, some amount of proceeds from, from their will, if, if they name me as an heir, I am owed that, regardless of whether I was a good son or a bad son, regardless if I ever called my mom on Mother's Day or ever visited my dad, I am owed that as a function of my relational and legal position to them. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Christian, you just gave us free legal advice. How much do we owe you? I'm just like, no, 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 free, totally free. Just remember me when you're doing Christmas shopping. I'm a simple man. Ephesians says that we are co-heirs with Christ, which means that we've been given the highest honor that we deserve the exact opposite. So if we bristle under this hard word that we are to give honor to dishonorable people, we're actually bristling against the word of our own salvation because we are dishonorable people. We have not earned any honor, and yet God has given us a place with Jesus as a co-heir with Christ, someone who receives spiritual inheritance, every spiritual benefit in the heavenly realms, says Ephesians. And so, yes, it is a hard word, and it's to our benefit. It's to our benefit. But it's hard because it's so far from our American framework of meritocracy. It seems inherently unfair, particularly for those of us or for those of you who have parents that were hard parents, Parents who didn't love you well, who were dishonorable people, that is a hard word. It doesn't seem fair that we give honor to people who are dishonorable. But if we are ever, listen, th- this, 
I, if, if, if you've tuned out, listen to this, please. If we are ever to walk in peace and full confidence with God, we must settle this issue in our heart. God's righteousness is not at all dependent upon our conception of fairness. We, with our small, finite, underpowered minds, are not the ultimate arbiters of what is right or fair or just. God defines what is good. He is not graded against our temporal opinions of what is good. It's hard because it dethrones us. We cannot be in charge if that is true. And we all want to be in charge. We must learn contentment with being subject to a God whom we don't always fully understand and with whom we may not always agree. He is God, we are not. He does not bend to our sense of reality, we bend to his. We have to settle that in our heart. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, 20th century British author, he was a literary scholar. He also was an apologist for the Christian faith. One of my favorite books he wrote is called The Great Divorce. It's not, actually, it's not about divorce, but it is an allegory. Um, it is a fictional account of um, basically dealing with the concept of what sin is it that we most love? What sin is it that we hold most tightly to that keeps us from submitting ourselves to the authority of Jesus? And so in this book, there are a number of people who have died and they're in kind of this in-between state with an offer to enter heaven. They have to deal with the issues in their life. Uh, by the way, this is not biblical theology. This kind of purgatory-esque idea is not necessarily a biblical concept. This is a fictional idea to help us explore sin in our life. So there's one beautiful vignette of a lady who has died. She's now in kind of this middle space and having to deal with all of the pride and sin that kept her from submitting to Jesus. Her son has predeceased her, so he's gone on ahead. He's in heaven. She's looking toward this land, which is essentially heaven, with an invitation to come in. And the man who meets her there says, you cannot come in unless you put some things down. It's not an issue of you may not. It's you cannot. You cannot enter this space with these things. They don't fit there. And so she's having to deal with, essentially for her, what is deep pride. And for her, it's, it's the issue why, why is she not with her son? Why is she not seeing her son even now? And so she begins to demand of this, of this person who's dialoguing with her, give me my son now. I want to see him now. And he says, look, you're going to have all eternity to see him. First, let's deal with the issues and then please come and be with him. And so there's this monologue that is, is piercing to me. And here's what she says. She says, give me my boy. Do you hear me? I don't care about all your rules and regulations. I don't believe in a God who keeps mother and son apart. I believe in a God of love. No one has a right to come between me and my son, not even God. I hate your religion. I hate and despise your God. I believe in a God of love. At some level in our heart, some level in our heart, we, we all believe that. We all want to say that. We all want to define what is good and fair and just and right. And if God does not comport to our concept of justice, it may not be just. And it's not true. God is God. We are not. He defines what is good. That's good news for us, though, because we owe God honor due his position. He is God. He deserves our honor by virtue of his position, but he's also earned it by virtue of his person. He's not an authoritarian dictator who's evil and demands our honor anyway. He's a good God who has loved us. He's owed our honor and he's earned our honor. So when he tells us that we honor him by honoring our parents, we obey that command in a way to honor God. We honor our parents not because we think they deserve it, but because God asked us for it. There's a grace here that I want you to see. There's a grace to parents, a kind of reciprocal grace. The command is honor your parents 
But when that happens, there's a grace bestowed from, from child to parent. Some of, you have, some of you today may be believers in Jesus. You may have parents who aren't. Right? They're unregenerate. They have not confessed their sin or believed in Jesus. Some of you have parents that are, you just simply feel like they're undeserving of your honor. They've not been honorable parents. So that's a hard command for you. Um, you, if you are one who has believed in Jesus, if you are one who knows grace and forgiveness, then what happens when you show them honor is that it actually conveys the gospel to them. Your, your honoring of them may be the closest they ever get to experiencing the grace of Jesus. Your honoring of them may be a means by which God actually uses that to bring them to repentance and salvation. You don't know, but there's a grace there. I've experienced this. And if you're a parent, maybe you have too. There was a time a couple years ago, my middle son, maybe two or three, and he had, didn't, he had done something that really upset me. And in a moment of anger, I grabbed his arm, not abusively, but harshly. And I got right in his face and with incredibly harsh uh, tone and with hard words, I spoke to him. His face crestfallen, he began to weep because essentially I was verbally abusing him. Right? My countenance, my disposition in that moment was borderline abusive in the way that I was speaking to him because it was harsh and unloving. He began to cry. Immediately, I felt deeply convicted. I knew that my t- I had acted out of anger. My tone was poor. I was not loving him. And I felt just utter contempt for myself. I'll be vulnerable. If you're parents, I, I suspect many of you have had those moments where you've treated your children in a way that's not loving and you just feel contempt for how deeply sinful you were in that moment. So a moment later, I had to go back to my son and say, buddy, the way I spoke to you was unloving and it was not kind and it was unacceptable. The way, the way I touched you was not kind and I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? And this boy who was crying immediately, his countenance changed. Huge smile lit up his face. He threw his arms around my neck and he said, I love you, daddy. You're the best daddy in the world. And I tell you this, friends, the most stone-cold heart in the world will quake beneath that kind of love. The gospel has never been preached to me more clearly than in that moment by my son. So when we honor our parents, we, do, we demonstrate the gospel to them. We show them the grace of God. So the question, what is honor? Okay, we're commanded to honor God. We do it in obedience to God, regardless of whether our parents deserve it. What does it mean to honor? Well, that changes over time, right? Children... Oh, a duty of obedience. Very clear in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, children, if, if you're a parent, if you've had kids around, you know that children are hardwired for disobedience, right? It's like day one, like that's how they come out. Um, I can tell you as, as a child, I remember um, one of the first times I remember deliberately doing something dishonoring. I, had, I was probably six or seven. I had seen on television or a movie the idea of hanging up on someone. Not hanging up at the end of a call, but mid-sentence, boom, we're done. That kind of deal, right? I thought, man, that's pretty cool. And so I'm on the phone with my dad and he's talking to me mid-sentence, boom, you're done. And I think that was awesome. I'm like, I'm like the guy on TV. And then a moment later, I realized I was talking to my daddy and I wasn't done and he's gone now. And I just start, I start crying. My dad calls back. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, daddy, I'm so sorry. I I hung up on you. I saw it in a movie. I don't know. Like, (laughs) we're just like, we're just, that's how we're wired, right? We just, we, we're wired to be dishonoring, to be disobedient. And, And unfortunately, as genetics work, I've passed this on to my kids, um, I remember my oldest son, when he was young, he was probably two or three. At that age, you've got a couple hundred words in your vocabulary, right? You're, you're not speaking complete sentences typically. So you're just, you know, you're, it's kind of that toddler babble, right? Me want food, that kind of stuff. And so every morning when I leave the home, even when my kids were young, I say, be sweet to your mommy. 
She's home full time with, with them, three boys. So I said, be sweet to your mommy. I come home and I ask the question, were you sweet to your mommy today? Now at this stage in life, it was rhetorical because he wasn't really communicative. And I come and I ask him, I say, hey buddy, were you sweet to your mommy today? And he gets this really pensive look on his face and he goes, well, it's hard to say. I'm like, <laughs> what? You don't, you don't even speak. You've never said a complete sentence in your life. How did you just articulate that? You crafty little guy. Just disobedient, right? So, okay, children, you owe a duty of obedience to the parents. That's clear. At the end of life, at some point, um, adults, or sorry, children become adults. They become independent and autonomous, and the duty of obedience is no longer there. That's not the form of honoring parents at some point. Um, That may change culture to culture. At some point in later life, children owe a duty of sustenance to their parents, to care for their parents. At some point, our parents... Um, usually, they, God willing, they live to an age where uh, they're not working. Perhaps they are dealing with medical issues. They eventually have trouble caring for themselves. In that season, our duty is to care for them. Um, in between, I don't know. I know some of you have teenagers here or you are teenagers. I don't know what to say to you. I'm just praying for you. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's a hard one, isn't it? I remember. Now, with respect to the issue of caring for parents late in life, um, again, I've not been there. My parents are both still um, independent um, and caring for themselves. I know that's a difficult season. Now, I will tell you, I've watched my parents do it and my, and my in-laws and other, parents, other older folks that I know who have done that very honorably. And they've set a great example for me on what it means to honor parents to the end of life. Let me just tell you quickly what I think the Bible says about it, and I'll just leave it at that. Since I've, I've not been through it, I'll just tell you what I think the Bible says. First Timothy 5.8 The Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, that's pretty straightforward, pretty direct. We owe a duty of care to our family. It is inherent in being a follower of Jesus. If we are gonna honor God, we are gonna honor our parents, our family. Uh, Matthew 15, the passage that was read uh, during the time of worship Jesus is talking to Pharisees. The Pharisees have said, hey, look, mom and dad, I know that you have medical needs and you need food or care or whatever, but I I don't know if you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big religious figure. Uh, What you would have gotten for me in terms of support, I've consecrated to God. And so that's that's how that's gonna go. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you are a hypocrite. You have missed it. That is not honoring to God. The command is honor your mother and father. So to the very end, that is the command. So I'll just say this. If you're in that season of life where I've not been trying to do, figure out how to honor parents to the end, I'll just say this. The Bible, I think, is clear that we should be committed to our parents' comfort and care above our own comfort and convenience. Committed to their comfort and care over our own comfort and convenience. Be about ensuring that they are cared for in the spirit of honoring them. So whether that's bringing them into your home, finding an assisted living center, a home, a hospital, nurses coming in, whatever that looks like, if that's the motivation, if that's the core concern, I think it's in line with what the scriptures would teach. So for those of you who are heading the journey, uh, you can come coach me on how to actually apply that, what that looks like in real life. Honoring our parents also humbles us. It humbles us. It causes us to trade our self-exalting pride for a God-glorifying humility. It's, it, it subdues our pride, doesn't it, immediately? As kids, don't we have to admit that we're not in charge? All little kids think they're in charge, right? There's always like the bossy one telling other people, so you're like, you have to remind them, hey, you're not in charge. You are not the authority in this room. So we learn it early. Even as we become adults, though, we have to admit that we're not the most experienced or the wisest person in the room. 
Even, even those of you who are highly educated, very intelligent, very successful in your career, whatever, whatever trappings of success, you have to admit that if you're not, if, if there are parents older than you, if there are elders in the room, you're, you don't have the most experience. You're not the wisest person in the room. So it forces us into a place of humility. We all naturally want to be the captain of our own ship, right? Isn't there a famous poem about that, Invictus? Captain of our own ship, master of our soul. It seems noble. It seems kind of profound. Uh, if you were of movie-watching age in the 1980s, you may have caught the philosophical coming-of-age classic Dirty Dancing, deep film, and the famous line from Johnny Castle, nobody puts baby in a corner, right? We, we, we don't want to be in a corner. Don't put me in a corner. I, I'm a ch- I want to be in charge. I want to be autonomous. Honoring our parents forces us to a place of humility, which is good for our soul. Now, by honoring our parents from a place of humility, we actually learn to interact properly with God as Father. I actually don't think it's that intuitive to interact with God as our Father. I think we learn that in part by honoring our parents. But there's a corollary to this. Yes, the command is honor your father and mother, but there's a corollary in Ephesians 6, 4, which we read. Paul quotes the command, and then he goes on to say, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's a corollary command here. Parents, if, if you're a parent, if you think you will be a parent one day, live with your children as honorable parents. Parent your children in a way that makes it easy for them to honor you. Make it easy for them to obey God. Don't plant seeds in your kids' hearts that are gonna bloom into $10,000 in counseling bills when they're 30. Live honorably. So here's a, just, just some diagnostic questions. How are we doing as honorable parents living the corollary command? Do you look at pornography? Stop. It's not honorable. It's going to be hard for your children to honor you if you're giving yourself to that addiction and violating the covenant of your marriage. Do you disrespect your spouse in front of your children? It's not honorable. Do you care more about what your friends are saying on social media than what your children are physically saying in your presence? It makes it hard for them to honor you when they're ignored. Do you speak condemning or shaming words to your children? makes it hard for them to honor you when we speak like that. Do you speak harshly to your children? Do you exasperate them? I have. I do. We need to stop. It's not honorable. It does not make it easy for our kids to honor us in obedience to God when we speak that way. Do you hit your children? Do you hit your children? Now listen, there are varying opinions on what to do with moderate use of measured spanking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do you hit your children? I'm not naive enough to think that just because we're in church that that's not an issue here. If you hit your children, stop immediately. You have a problem, you need help, okay? Come forward for help. We will help you get the resources that you and your child need. It is dishonorable, it is unacceptable, and it will make it difficult for children to obey God by honoring you. We have to be honorable parents. We have to make it easy for our kids to obey. Honoring our parents humbles us. Here's another thing I think it does. It teaches us to recognize and trust the promises of God. Is it easy for you to recognize and trust the promises of God? Maybe it is. I'll tell you, for me, it's not. Uh, This maybe goes along with sort of my skepticism and hyper-analytical side. When I see the, the promises of God, I really struggle to trust them. I'll tell you this. Jesus says, um, don't worry about what you're gonna eat or drink or what you're gonna wear. 
right? Look at the lilies of the field and how God has adorned them in splendor. Look at the birds of the air and how he cares for them. Certainly God knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and he'll add these things to you. And yet I confess this to you that every single month when I reconcile our family budget, I am filled with angst and fear that I'm not gonna be able to provide for my kids, that if they wanna go to college, I'm not gonna be able to help them, that if I get to an age where I can't work anymore, I'm not gonna have sufficient resources to support our family. I have a hard time recognizing and trusting the promises of God. Sure, it might be a promise for someone, but probably not for me. He's probably not gonna care for me that way. Honoring our parents actually teaches us the rhythm of recognizing and trusting God. This is why every single night I say four things to my kids during bedtime. Every night without exception, I get down right next to their face when they're on their pillow and I say, I love you, I'm for you, I enjoy you, and I'm proud of you. I want them to hear that every single night. I want it to be so repetitive that they're sick of it because not so much that I want them to know that of me, which I do, more so I wanna create a category for them that as they get older and they're able to fully conceptualize what it means that God is their father, that those truths are on the forefront of their mind, that they have learned to recognize and trust the promises of God. So God gives us this relationship, this command to honor our parents as a way to learn how to interact with God himself. In fact, Jesus says it, right? Matthew 7, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so the Father in heaven wants to give good gifts to those who ask. God uses us to teach our kids when we parent honorably to trust and recognize the promises of God. And as children who honor our parents, we learn that rhythm. We learn by muscle memory how to do that. One other note of application here. Uh, we care for orphans. And by the way, um, I'm not a member of Bayou City, but I love Bayou City Fellowship. I love this church. And the, the degree to which you guys are doing orphan care generally as a community is astounding. My wife and I foster a child and we were assigned a mentor couple. We live in spring, so far from here. We were assigned a mentor couple from Bayou City Fellowship. So thank you for what you're doing. The Bible commands that people of God will care for orphans in some capacity. That's why we do it. Let me tell you one thing that happens as we do it. Yes, when we care for orphans, we provide for their material opportunity. We provide for their earning capacity and their later learning, capa- or learning capacity, earn capacity. We basically are able to help them access the resources of the world so that their life is not perpetually disadvantaged. That's an important thing. But something I realized this week that's maybe even more important, children who don't have present, viable, functional mom and dad they miss out on the opportunity to learn to recognize and trust the promises of God by honoring parents. One of the chief ways that God teaches us to do that, they miss out on that. So when we care for orphans, we actually give them back an opportunity to learn how to honor parents as a grace to them so that they could eventually learn how to honor God and know that he loves them and he's for them and he enjoys them and that he's proud of them. So for those of you who are doing orphan care, be encouraged. That's a big part of what's happening. For those of you considering it, I would say, man, there's another reason to go pursue it. And there's a lot of people in this church who are doing it who will walk beside you. Okay, in conclusion, I wanna share um, one aspirational story. Because if you're like me and you look back at your life and you go, man, I have not done this well a lot of times. And you have just kind of a sense of failure. Or you, you look at your own parenting of your kids and you go, man, I don't know if I've been, I don't know if I've been a very honorable parent to make it easy for my kids to honor me. And I just want to encourage you that um, (laughs) it happens. It actually happens. There are kids out there who love their parents and parents who've who've treated their kids well. And I know that in our modern culture, many of us come from 
less than ideal homes and broken, blended families and all that stuff. Just want you to know that God redeems these things and that it is possible for us to live really in step with what he's intended. So I'm going to share one story with you. There was a gentleman in the mid-1980s named John Patton. He lived in the UK and he felt called to be a missionary. And he felt called to go to a country where the first missionaries to go were killed and consumed by cannibals. So a very hard country to be in. So as he told his parents that he felt called to this, they knew that when he left, they may never see him again. It may be their last time to embrace. First, he leaves to seminary. So he's going to leave on a train to go to Glasgow, Scotland, to go to seminary, and from there to the mission field. And so he tells a story about his father walking with him to the train station, mid-1800s UK, rural setting, right? They don't have transportation, so it's a long countryside walk. He writes this account later in his life as an old man reflecting decades earlier as a youth when this happened. And here's what he says about that time with his father. His father walking with him, unable to say more. His father's lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him standing where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted to the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the hill to see if where my father stood, where I had left him, if he was looking for me. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing an adjacent hill and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return. His heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. Listen to this statement, that this would be our aspiration as children and as parents. I watched through blinding tears till his form had faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. It's incredible. That's incredible. May that be the sentiment in our heart as children seeking to obey our parents. May that be the sentiment on the lips of our children as we honor or as we parent them honorably so that they could easily profess those words in their own life. Let me pray for us as we close. God, we are so deeply grateful for your grace to us that we who are dishonorable have been given the highest honor, a shared inheritance with Jesus, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly realm in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection for us. God, the gospel is so sweet to us who are undeserving, who have violated your law, who are guilty in so many respects, who have failed. For me, a failure, the gospel, so sweet. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, for being an honorable father. Thank you for loving us in a way that makes it easy for us to respond. Even if in our sin, it's not easy to obey. You're an easy God to honor. God, would you make us men and women who honor our parents through every stage of life, who are concerned first and foremost with honoring you and obeying you by honoring our parents so that our parents would actually receive the gospel, that they would experience your grace through the way that we honor them. Father, for people in this room who have come from abuse, abusive pasts or parents neglected them or abused them, um, God, I pray that this morning that 
you would break into their category of what a father is or of what parents are and that you would remind them that you love them, that you're for them, that you enjoy them, that you eagerly seek them and that you are a good, good father. Father, help us be men and women who live lives of honor, who demonstrate the gospel in all we do and give us swift feet to abandon our own self-exalting pride and to take up a God glorifying humility as we follow Jesus. Thank you for all that you've given us and all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.